What's up, church? How you guys doing? All right, like AJ was saying, hey, it's been a good weekend. My Buckeyes are rolling, and we had meat. All, all you can eat meat last night at, at Beast Feast here. So, uh, so it's been a, it's been, it's a pretty good Saturday. We'll see how, we'll see how today turns out, I guess. But, uh, but you know, it's been, it's been good. Uh, the last few weeks, we have been going through our series called Family Hacks, where we have been talking about family. Now, family is messy. It just is. None of us in here, none of us have the perfect family. We all, we all got issues within our family. We've all had issues within our family. And so it's so important for us as Christians, you know, assuming most of us are, that uh, we dive into and look to see what God has for us, especially within regards of Family, okay, which we're all, we're all a part of. And so we talked about parenting. We've talked about marriage last week. We talked about God's specific instructions for marriage. And uh, we've talked about how God's plan for families, for family, really centers around this special, unique relationship that we call marriage. All right, it's a, it's a unique thing. And that's kind of the center of the family. And uh, last week, just to kind of recap, we're actually going to kind of jump off where we were last week and keep, and keep diving in. But uh, last week, I, we talked about how we all have this box, right? We get this. I know some of you guys over here. We all got this box of hopes, dreams, and, and desires, okay? Remember? Okay, all right. I was getting worried there for a second. Okay. So we all got this box in our life um, where we have all these things that we've put in this box of our hopes, dreams, and desires, all these things that, uh, that we've planned to do. Some of us, we've been putting stuff in this box in our mind for like, for like years. I mean, ever since we were a little kid, we're like, oh, I want to do that. And that's still in, in our mind of, hey, you know, someday I want to have one of those electric Jeeps I could drive around in the car and maybe someday we'll get one. I got one last year. And so, or my kids did. But uh, I told you that last week. So we got all these things, and, and before we're married, <clears throat> we are experts on our box. We know exactly what's in here. We know where it came from. We know how we're going to do it, or, you know, roughly, we're like, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen. And so I, I gave you some examples last week of, of some things that were in my box before I got married. Uh, football was huge, college football, every Saturday in the fall from 10 a.m. when college game day starts, all the way to midnight. Like, this is, that's what I did. Love college football, all about that. Um, you know, for, for some of us, it's like a car. Someday I'm going to have this sweet car, and it's going to be awesome, and I can't wait, and I'm going to, you know, it's going to happen, right? We're, we're going to do that. Some of you guys, you have your sweet car, and I'm a little jealous of you, but, uh, but maybe someday. Um, for me, for some reason, I got this tractor that I've told you guys about. Um, I don't really have any reason to have a little tractor, but I do. It's not even at my house because I don't have any place for it, um, but I stuck it in my dad's barn. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we got all these things. Uh, some, t- some of us, it's just something as simple as time. Right? We all have these, these hopes, dreams, and desires of how our future is going to be. And a big part of that is how we are going to spend our time. You know, vacations and just all this stuff. This is how I want to spend my future life. And this is all the stuff that we come in, come with when we, when we start our marriage. Some of us just one of these, you know, one of, you know, a baby found this was out, this out with my wife that, that was at the top of her box when we got married wasn't quite aware of that um, going in. But, uh, but we all have these hopes, dreams, and desires, all this stuff that we've accumulated throughout our life that it's like, hey, this is what I want my life to look like somehow. It's, hey, this is what my future is going to look like. And when we get married, all right, work with me here, we need, basically our, our hopes, dreams, and desires becomes, hey, when I marry you, I need you to make 
this, whatever this is, happen. And that's how we approach marriage. See, all of us, we're experts on our box, and we are all, every single one of us in here, we are all naturally focused only on our box. And I've seen this time and time and time again where marriages, I've, I've done a lot of marriage counseling, I've talked to a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of couples where they end up, you know, I, I point this out in their life, but it's like they end up, there's two people that just end up running in opposite directions because here's the secret. What's in your box? 90% of it, there might be some overlap, I'll, I'll give some space for that, but most of it is not what's in your spouse's box. Does that make sense? Especially when you first get married. It's different stuff. You guys go in, you know, we go into marriage thinking, oh, we have the same ideals, we have the same hopes, dreams, and desires, and then we find out that it's not the same, okay, or they're not the same order, or some things that I want may not be at all important to Kate, I found that out. Um, you know, some things that she really wants, I'm like, what, we don't, we don't want that, you know, and, and, we, and we have this disagreement, and we end up becoming two people running in opposite directions, two people, and I've seen so often in people's marriages, there's two people who are living separate lives together, and the marriage breaks, and it ends, and it's done. And we see that in our culture, in our society, that that is happening more and more and more. In fact, statistically, in the United States, the culture that every single one of us live in, um, we, are one of the, the high, we have one of the highest divorce rates in the entire world. In fact, every 13 seconds here in our country, there's a divorce. I mean, think about that. Isn't that crazy? Every 13 seconds. That's, um, I mean, the amount of time that it takes for you to say your vows on your wedding day, it's like nine people got divorced. You ever think about that? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of divorces. There's a lot of stuff going on here. That's over 2 million divorces a year. And the average marriage now, it only lasts just under eight years. You can't even make it to the eight years on the average marriage. I mean, half of all marriages end in divorce. And uh, I think for some of us, older people, I think some of us, it's, our, it's, it's the tendency to kind of look at the younger people and say, well, that's a younger person problem. You know, in my day... You know, we, uh, we would never think about getting divorced. We, you know, we wouldn't do that. We stuck with each other, you know, whatever that might be. You know, we have this tendency to kind of have that attitude, but the statistics say the opposite. The statistics are the divorce rate for people 50 and over has doubled, and the divorce rate for people 65 and older has tripled in recent years. I mean, this isn't just a, a young person problem. This is a problem that affects our entire society. It doesn't matter what age group we are in. I mean, there are broken marriages everywhere, and it has become normal to get divorced. It has become normal to fail at your first marriage. I mean, most people get divorced. And so it's kind of interesting to me. As I was thinking through this week, and I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, let's talk about divorce, right? It's not a super comforting subject. Uh, it's not something that, you know, it's something that is a little offensive here and there, um, but we're not trying to hold back or anything here at Grace. But as I was thinking through this, I'm like, you know what? No one ever starts marriage thinking that it'll end in divorce. Like, am I right on that? Like, I've never had anybody come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Zach, would you please marry us? Um, I don't really think it's going to work out, but, you know, we'll give it a shot. Let's, what happens, happens. You know, I've never had anybody say that to me. Everybody's like, hey, oh, yeah, we're in this for the long haul. I go through marriage counseling with people uh, or premarital counseling. And, and, you know, everybody, it's always the assumption of the couple that this is a lifetime 
thing, that they're going in, it's going to be awesome, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. And so my question that I was trying to figure out this week as I'm preparing for this is, what happens? Like, we all go into this thing called marriage thinking that, hey, it's, we're, we're in this for life. But most people, it breaks down. And as I was thinking through this, I realized that I think our problem is, and we all are, we all are equals here, okay? We all have the same issue. I think our problem is we chase after our perfect ideal, our perfect ideal, okay? That's whatever's in our head. It's really, and by the way, our perfect ideal is based off what's in our box, it's so all this stuff. Hey, this is our ideal. This is what marriage is going to look like for me. This is what's going to happen. And uh, this ideal is a lot different from God's ideal, like it just is uh, for, for most of us. It's our ideal and God's ideal seem to be complete opposites. Our ideal is based off the world and based off, hey, I saw someone with that. I saw someone who had a marriage like that. That's what I want. This is what I want. This is, this is how it's going to be. And God's ideal is usually something completely different, which we're going to look at today. And, um, and what happens is, when we start off marriage, we got the honeymoon phase, everything's good. Uh, we, you know, we have all these hopes, dreams, and desires are still in front of us. We're still thinking that we're going to accomplish all this stuff. But as we get older, as we get further down in our, further through our relationship, what we end up realizing is that our ideal, our ideal does not end up being the real, right? Like they're different. Our ideal does not end up being the reality and it becomes something different. And a lot of times that grows further and further and further apart. And there's this gap in between. And the further it grows apart, the further our ideal, what we think, based off of our hopes, dreams, and desires, and what the real is, the further those get apart, the more frustrated, the more frustrated we get. And, um, and we get frustrated because our husband or our wife, our spouse, is not making our hopes, dreams, and desires happen. And then our ideal just doesn't happen and we give up. And we start looking for a new person to fulfill our hopes, dreams, and desires with. Someone who can fit in our box, our box, better than what our current, you know, husband or wife, what we feel like that they can. And our idea is like divorce in our life. And we start thinking about that. And we start, we start you know, concentrating on, hey, you know what, this is, let's try to figure that out. But, uh, but that's not God's design for marriage. It's not God's ideal. Okay, our ideal and God's ideal are so different. I mean, think about the beginning. We've talked about this the last couple weeks. God first makes Adam, and he looks at Adam, and he says, that is good. But right after he says that is good, he's, he, God says, you know what? But it is not good for Adam to be alone. And so God does not go to Adam and say, hey, Adam, you know, um, what would you be looking for in a mate if I were to make one for you? You know, what, 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 would, what would that look like? He doesn't go to Adam. Adam doesn't have a clue about what he wants. God goes to Adam and says, you know what? I know exactly what you need. Go to sleep. And then he goes, he pulls a rib out, which I don't know if that was a painful thing or not, but he yanks that out. He closes that back up. Adam sleeps, so he can't feel a thing. And he forms Eve out of Adam. Now, I think something that we, you know, we gloss over this and we're like, yeah, you know, maybe this was a fairy tale. This is what some people think. Um, or, or you know, those of us who've been Christians for a long time, even we, we kind of gloss over this like, yeah, God made Adam and Eve. But think about that moment. Adam, little groggy, just had surgery, okay? He wakes up and there is a, he's never seen one before, a naked woman standing right in front of him. I mean, think about that kind of gloss over that. Like, like guys, just think about this. Uh, like, remember in middle school 
and this is probably the same true with girls, okay, I'm assuming, um, but like, like think about your middle school crush. Remember that person who was like, they couldn't do any wrong, they were like perfect in every way, you know, and that was uh, a messed up sinner, you know, just like the rest of us, and then it ended up not being true, you know, you are just like, oh. So anyway, Eve was perfect. Like, it wasn't just he had never seen a girl before, okay? She was the perfect woman. And she's standing there in front of him. I mean, I'm sure he's just like, whoa, I want that. You know, what did God do? God, you are amazing. You know, like, this is what Adam's, you know, think about just that, that moment. And it's interesting, so interesting to me that Adam, right there at that moment, he totally understood. He knew that she was like him. In fact, this is what he says in Genesis chapter 2. It says, and the man said, he says, this one. All right? Remember, he's already gone through all the animals. Like, he's like, this one's different. Okay. This one, a lot different. He says, this one at last. Like, finally, God. This one, will, I, can work, I can work with this one. Okay? This, see, this, one will, this one will get me. He says, finally, or this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman. For she was taken from man. He says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. See, this right here, this is God's ideal. This is how God designed marriage. This is God's design. It was, God's idea, ideal is a marriage is a, it's a, it's a permanent thing. All right, it's a life thing. It's never meant to end. It's never meant to fail. I mean, last week we talked about how on our wedding day, what are we doing? We're making a commitment, right? We're making a vow. We're saying, hey, I'm going to be with you. And most of us in here, if we said like the normal vows, you know, it's, we, we literally said out loud for better or for worse. Meaning, hey, we said out loud in front of everybody at our wedding that, hey, our relationship, our marriage, this thing could get really bad, but I'm still in. I'm committed to this. Even if it gets Worse. See, that's how God designed marriage to be. Won't always be easy, but I think it's always doable. Jesus was once asked about marriage um, and divorce specifically. And uh, the, kind of the context of what's going on here is Jesus, he's out doing his thing. Uh, Jesus, he had basically three years of public ministry where he goes out and he's telling people uh, uh, about Jesus, or about, about himself. He's telling people about God, and he's telling people how to, how to grow closer in their relationship with God. He's encouraging people in that way. And so he's teaching the crowds, and he's, he's teaching people about God. And, I mean, Jesus was doing things that people had never seen before. Okay, he's like healing people and stuff. I mean, people wanted to see that. It was like crazy. And so crowds would gather because, number one, Jesus, he's doing things they've never seen before. But Jesus is also saying things that they have never heard before. He is saying bold stuff. And he's saying stuff that's not exactly what, you know, things that they've ever heard before. And Jesus doesn't hold back. And so they want to hear what he has to say. They want to see what he's going to do next. And so on this particular day that we're going to look at, there's large crowds following Jesus, and, and Jesus is teaching them, and, uh, and then this happens. It says, some Pharisees approached him. Now, Pharisees, those are just the religious leaders of that day. Okay, these were like religious elite people. These guys were crazy. They had rules to keep them from breaking God's rules. I mean, they were all about, they were rule followers to a T. They had parts of the, of the Old Testament, the first five books, completely memorized. Okay, I can't even memorize. I, I, I'm terrible at memorization. I, 
you know, during college I had to do flashcards and all kinds of stuff that nobody else had to do, like I was a fourth grader or something. But, uh, but like, these guys, they had books of the Bible, like, not even the, the most interesting books of the Bible, if you know what I mean. Like, the book of Numbers, memorized. These guys were all-stars when it came to that. It says, some of these religious leaders, they approached him to test him. Now, this is something that the religious leaders did often. It's so interesting to me, and I've said this before, that, uh, that you know, people who were not like Jesus actually liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them back. Like, Jesus hung out with the non-religious people. The religious guys, like these Pharisees, they always, most of the time, they butt heads with Jesus, okay? Just interesting how that how that is, that dynamic. And so these guys, that come up to Jesus. There's this huge crowd. All these people are all around, and everybody's listening to what Jesus has to say. And these guys pipe up with a question, and they're there to test him because they think they got him. And this is the question they asked. It says, is it lawful, Jesus, for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? So they just come straight out and, and, and ask him. All right? Now, this, uh, this, this question that they asked Jesus is a completely, I mean, it is a loaded question. We don't quite understand here in, in our day exactly what they're doing. But the whole the crowds that are surrounding Jesus during this day, they know, it, they're just like, whoa, I can't believe they asked him. That'd be like, I mean, they, the, well, I'll get to that. But it's just, it's just crazy. And uh, back then, the culture it was accepted that a man had the right to divorce his wife, and the wife, the wife did not have the right to divorce her husband, okay? Not necessarily a great situation going on back then. Uh, what a wife could do, though, is she could go to the courts and say, hey, this is what my husband's doing. I want a divorce. And even the courts, they wouldn't tell the wife, hey, yeah, you should go divorce your husband. The courts would actually go to the husband and say, hey, you, they would force him to divorce her. Does that make sense? Okay, so the wife kind of had to work around there um, sometimes, but, uh, but that probably didn't happen super often. And this idea that, that the, a lot of these Jewish people had was based off of the Old Testament law, which we find in Deuteronomy 24. This is it. This is, says, if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him. Now, we're going to look at what displeasing means. Back then, uh, sometimes people would come up with their own stuff. But what, what's displeasing? But it's interesting here in this, in this section that God actually describes what it means. He, he clarifies here. It says, when she becomes displeasing to him, what's that mean? Well, it's if he finds something indecent about her. This word indecent is more, it, it's, it's geared towards sexual shame, okay? So if she had an affair, she did something sexually, maybe they didn't go all the way, but they got close, you know, the rounding bases, all this stuff. It's, it's sexual indecency, or sexual shame, if he finds some sexual shame about her, then, says he may write her a divorce certificate and hand it to her and send her away from his house. And so back in the day, what they would do, this divorce certificate was actually meant to protect the woman here, okay, because this made it so that she could, her husband's upset with her because she did something wrong, and really wrong, and he would write her a certificate of divorce so she could go and she could leave that household and, um, and not, you know, it, it'd just be, you know, just bad news when, if, he's, if she was stuck with her and, and how he would treat her and stuff like that based off what she had done. But she could go and she could go find another husband and, um, and have kind of that freedom to remarry and without being tied to the first man. Okay, so that's kind of the reason behind the certificate of divorce. By the way, it doesn't say, husbands, you should do this. 
It just says, if you do this, this is the way that it needs to be done. And so throughout history, the Jews were split on this. They had different ideas of what what exactly it meant um, for a husband to be be displeasing with his wife, or and they focused really on the word displeasing instead of um, indecent, which was an issue. And so back then there were two famous rabbis. One was Shammai. These guys actually kind of lived during Jesus's while Jesus was alive. One died when Jesus was little. The other one died just a couple years before this question was posed to Jesus. And there's this guy, this rabbi named Shammai, and his school of thought was, hey, you got don't just look at the word displeasing. You need to look at what what how God clarifies that, and that indecency means sexual shame. And so he said, hey, you guys shouldn't get divorced unless the other one commits adultery, you know, on, on their spouse. And so he's saying indecent means completely adultery, which I personally agree with because that's literally what the word means. But then you got this other guy named Hillel, and he was a lot more lenient, okay? Hillel, the, the rabbi, uh, he, instead of looking at indecent, he focused on the word displeasing, and he was like, well, displeasing, that could mean a, a number of things. That could mean anytime a man is displeased with something that his wife does, whatever that is, he can go ahead and divorce her. And so he gave like 300 different things that a wife could do that would be in violation of marriage that his, her husband could divorce her for something. I mean, one of them was like burning his food, okay? So... I mean, he came up, he, you know, he must have had a rocky marriage or something because he's like, oh, she did that, you know. And so he's goes, he goes on and he gives this huge thing about, hey, you can't even burn dinner. You burn dinner too many times, you're going to lose your husband, you know. He's going he's gonna, to, you know, that's as bad as committing adultery. Actually, there was another rabbi at this time who said, hey, actually, the, the word uh, displeasing is actually even more broader. He would say, even if the guy, like if the guy found somebody who is more prettier than his wife, he can marry her and divorce his wife. I mean, just, it was just crazy stuff. And so the people in this day, this is just kind of the background. I know it's kind of, it's kind of long and boring. But the people in the crowd, this is what they have in their minds. This is why it applies. These people are going, half the people are, are people who follow Hillel, all right, the more lenient, hey, any reason really. And then half the people are like, no, Divorce is only because of adultery, and that's how it should be. And so these religious leaders are trying to make Jesus pick a side. It's almost like Republican and Democrat today. It's like they're coming up to Jesus saying, hey, did you vote for Biden, you know, or did you vote for Trump? You know, this is, this is basically the same thing where half the crowd automatically is going to be alienated from Jesus' answer, and they're going to they're gonna not like him. So these guys are setting Jesus up when they ask the question, is it lawful? Is it right? For a man to divorce his wife on any grounds or for any reason. Even if she burns his toast, you know, that's what they're asking. Okay, check out Jesus' response. Jesus points to them. Again, this is in front of everybody. To, the, to these religious leaders who had the Bible, big parts of the Bible memorized. And he says, haven't you read? Funny that he says that. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them <clears throat> in the beginning made them male and female? He says, and he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He says, so there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
And so here, what we see, Jesus' answer is he doesn't go back to the Old Testament law and this Deuteronomy chapter 24 stuff where it's like Moses gave them permission. He goes all the way back to the beginning of time, in the beginning of the human race, and he says, hey, haven't you read Genesis 2, which we read earlier? He says, haven't you read it? How did God make us? How did God design marriage? It's a forever thing. That's God's ideal. See, Jesus is pushing back against this idea that marriage is just some casual commitment that it seems like that we have in today's culture and in Jesus' culture as well, where they could just be ended by however the man may feel. Or from the, from the wife going to court, where you know, he or she wasn't fulfilling what was in their box. See, Jesus is basically saying what he's trying to get us to understand. He's saying, hey, marriage is a big deal. Like, this is a big, big deal. It's not something you just give up on. Now, the whole crowd, as Jesus says this, they're all just like, what? Like, I got to stay with her forever? Is that what you're saying? Or I got to stay with him my entire life? Is that, what, is that what Jesus is saying? And the religious leaders, you know, they want to hold... You know, they want to hold their clout, and so they actually push back against Jesus, and they go back to the Deuteronomy chapter 24, which is what they were implying earlier. They say, why then? They asked them, why did Moses command? It's so interesting that they use this word. Why did Moses tell us we have to get a divorce, right, papers, or give divorce papers and send her away? Why, why did they do that? And so Jesus answered back. He says, no, no, no. Moses didn't command you to do that. Moses permitted you. This isn't saying that we should do this. He's saying he allowed it. He permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. It's not because you're just a good person. It's not because, oh, he felt bad for the way that you were being treated by your spouse. No, he permitted it in this one instant because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that at the beginning. He's like, that's not how marriage is supposed to be. He says, I tell you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, which is having an affair or getting cheated on, and marries another, he says, that's sin. That, that person commits adultery, he says. See, I think a lot of us, we're a lot like these religious leaders in our thinking, right? Um, you know, marriage is not easy, and marriage is extremely difficult sometimes. And, and, you know, so we're just like, okay, okay, so God doesn't want me to get a divorce. I get divorce isn't ideal or whatever. But like, where's the line? Like, how miserable do I have to be before God feels bad for me and says, okay, you're the exception. Like, what situations will God allow me to leave my spouse? And here Jesus, I mean, I'm just saying this, that Jesus, he comes out and says it, and he says, divorce is only allowed when, you're, when you've been cheated on. Like, that's the only reason. And even then, it's not the best option. See, there's a story in the Old Testament, a guy named Hosea, he was, uh, he was an Old Testament prophet. And what we see happen to Hosea, God actually goes to Hosea, he's a great example for us, God actually goes to Hosea and says, hey, I want you to marry this, this girl, and her name was Gomer, okay, not cool, I don't want to marry a Gomer, it doesn't sound very attractive, but I don't know. Um, so he says, hey, I want you to go marry Gomer. And Hosea's like, not Gomer. You know, okay. But he goes and he marries Gomer. And Gomer had a checkered past. She had been a, a prostitute in the past. She had gone through a, a bunch of things. And what, she wasn't like super high class situation here. 
But Hosea goes and marries her. He, he loves her. Um, they start having kids together. And, but eventually, Gomer, she, uh, she has an affair on Hosea, okay? And not just once. She starts, she didn't just sleep with one person. She starts sleeping around with different guys. In fact, it gets so bad at, at one point in, in their life, uh, Gomer actually becomes the property of another man, meaning back then you could sell yourself into slavery or sell yourself as a servant in order to get a bunch of money. And so she apparently had done that. So she has, she has sold herself to some guy that she is sleeping with, and Hosea has to go gather all of his money that he has, and then he has to go and, and he buys her back from this guy. He buys her freedom from this guy so, he can come, so she can come back and be his wife again. Talk about a rocky marriage, right? Like, that's not an ideal situation. I mean, that's a heartbreaking situation that he was in. But you know what Hosea doesn't do? He doesn't get a divorce. He doesn't say, hey, I'm not spending my money on getting her back. No way. You know, I have grounds for divorce. He doesn't go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, which is what these guys are doing, and saying, hey, the Old Testament law says that I have an exception here, that I'm good to go, that, that we, I, can, I can, you know, we can sever this thing right now, he doesn't do that. He keeps taking her back. Like what I'm saying is, there's hope. Your marriage may be terrible. You may drive each other crazy. Your spouse may be constantly putting you down or you don't know what to do anymore. You guys might be constantly arguing and your spouse is only focused on their box and it might be driving you crazy and maybe your husband or wife has even done the worst thing possible you know, to each other. Is maybe they, they have cheated on you or had an affair on you. The Bible, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, hey, you can still achieve God's ideal marriage. Actually, here's an example of someone that went through this exact thing in our own church. Hi, my name is Rachel Brink, and I've been attending Grace with my husband, John, and our three children for about 15 years. I was asked if I would share my story with you, and at first I was hesitant because parts of my story are very ugly. Um, but that was my pride's reaction and not my heart, so I do want to share with you what God has done in my life. John and I met my senior year of college. I was in nursing school, and my best friend from nursing school was dating his best friend. We were engaged after 14 months and married about a year later. I think because life was so good for us at that moment, I never put up hedges to protect our marriage because I didn't think that I had to. And I never thought that our marriage would be where it was in 2012. My life changed five years ago. Um, John and I had been married for 10 years and I was having an affair. Life probably seemed pretty good from an outsider's perspective, uh, but I was living a lie. I was living life the way I wanted to, Monday through Saturday, and going to church on Sunday. But I found that God loves us too much to let us keep our sins hidden, because when my sin was exposed is when my life was changed. The day my husband found out about the affair, I called our church and got a meeting set up with one of the pastors on staff, and that was the smartest thing I could have done. We came to Spiegel Grove after our first session with the pastor, and we were sitting on one of the benches here at Spiegel Grove. And not knowing what to say to each other, we just sat quiet, um, and a motorcycle was coming down one of the hills and stopped at a traffic light. And the song Lean On Me was playing on his radio. 
we both just listened to the song and it was kind of like God was telling us to lean on him at that moment. We both decided that we wanted to fix our marriage and keep our family intact and we wanted to do it God's way. Two days after my husband found out about the affair, we decided that we were gonna rededicate our lives to Christ. And we knew it wasn't going to be easy, it was not going to be an instant fix, but we wanted to do it God's way and it was gonna take surrender on both of our behalfs to work through our issues of trust and forgiveness and hurt. Through months of us seeking counseling in and out of the church setting and some mentoring from some very godly people in our church, my husband chose to forgive me. And he lived out right in front of me, Ephesians 5:25, that husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Even though John had every right to leave me, he chose to forgive me. And his forgiveness showed me that he loved me way more than I deserved. And I can say that our marriage now is better than it has ever been. Um, he knows the ugliest things about me and still chooses to love me. And I feel that's the way that God loves us. Um, he sees our sin and our struggles and the ugly things we do. And he loves us and he's waiting for us to come to him. And he's ready to give his love and mercy when we ask him for forgiveness. Even though I knew I was forgiven, I still struggled a long time with shame and guilt and regret. I felt like I had failed as a Christian, as a wife, and as a mother. I almost felt that I hadn't been punished enough for the choice that I made. I know that 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, but my heart couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I was forgivable. I had heard people tell me that you just need to forgive yourself, and I tried that, and that did nothing for me. And then I read in a Christian book that if we could forgive ourselves, then Christ died for nothing. Seeing the grace that my husband had for me eventually helped me to grasp the grace that God has for us, and I traded my shame and regret for God's grace and mercy. I had finally come to the point of accepting God's free gift of mercy and grace. Romans 5.8 tells us that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. And because of that demonstration of love, I know I'm forgiven. See, what we see from that is doing marriage God's way, even through the bumps and bruises, means that there's hope. And that's something we don't see today very much. Right? We don't hear that side or that part, you know, the story ending up that way. We usually give up. And that was the same situation that Jesus was dealing with 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> See, here Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, divorce is never the best option. And it's really only allowed in God's eyes through one situation. That's if one has an affair on the other. But even then, there's an opportunity for forgiveness here. Well, that marriage can be fixed and the marriage can be restored. And when the crowd and the religious leaders, even when the disciples hear this, they're just like, what? We've never heard this before. That's not, this, this doesn't, you know, that, that's, that sounds, you know, that sounds tough. Even some of you guys here today, I totally understand. You know, you're going, I don't like that. Like, I don't, I don't appreciate what Jesus has to say on this. Like, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know how miserable I am. You don't know how miserable I was. You don't know what he was doing to me, or you don't know how she was treating to me. And all we, you know, we all want to read Jesus' words and, 
and view it as like with an asterisk at the end of it. It's like almost like where we could go back at the end of the Bible and say, okay, what's that asterisk? Oh, Zach and Kate's marriage does not apply to this because dot, 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 whatever our reason is. But that's not reality. We all want to say, hey, my circumstance and my situation is different. I mean, even the disciples had this question. They, later on that night, they gather with Jesus. They're actually in a house. We find out in Mark 10, who also records this for us. And, and Mark tells us that, that they have some questions to Jesus about what exactly he meant that he said earlier this day. We see this in Mark chapter 10, 10. It says, when they were in the house again, the disciples, they questioned him about this matter. They're like, hey, Jesus, do you remember what you were saying, like, you know, earlier this morning about, about the whole divorce thing. When the, oh, we got some questions about that. So they start peppering him a question. And he says to him, he says, no, you guys don't understand. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And it's the same thing the other way around. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. He, here he is. He doubles down. He doesn't say, okay, well, this is what I actually meant. There's some actually, there's some other, you know, some things going on that if this happens or this, that's not what he does. He says, no, what I said is what I said. Marriage is to be permanent. Marriage is for life. I mean, you think about it, it's kind of dangerous. Like two people, you get married on your wedding day, and only one person's coming out. You know, two people go in, one person comes out alive. Like that's just how it is. I mean, think about it, single people. Like think about this. This is why choosing your future spouse is so important. It's not something to take lightly. God's saying, you are with this person for life. This is a big, big deal. Now, this is what I know. With a crowd this size, I, I, and I, I know some of you guys, and this poses a problem for many people in this room. Because many have been divorced, and many have been remarried, and you're, you're thinking, you're like, okay, so I, I've done this. Like, like, what's this mean for me? And I just want to say this. Like, let's just be straight up with each other, okay? Yeah, you getting divorced may have been sin. Right? I, yeah, you getting remarried may have been sin. That may have been wrong. That, that probably was wrong. See, a lot of people take offense to that, which it's like we don't want to say anything that we did was wrong or anything that we did was sin, which really boggles my mind sometimes because I'm like, don't you understand? We are all sinners. Like sinning is what we do, you know? We all do that. We're all equal, including myself. Doing wrong is what we do. But it's this emotional thing that we carry around with us. And, you know, it is, we're just like, well, you know, you don't understand what I was going through. And, and this, a lot of it is just people that we care about. It's like people that we care about have been divorced. And we're saying, you know, my family and, and my best friends and just all this stuff. I just want to say, me too. Like, I have family members who have been divorced. I have best friends who have gotten divorced. I have people that I care about. I have people that I have looked up to for many, many years who have gotten divorced. I totally understand, but that does not mean that I check what Jesus said at the door or that I go find a workaround for why the person that I care about, why they're okay or while it was okay for them to do that. Man, it's so hard for us sometimes to come to the place that just to say, I was wrong. I don't get why that's so hard for us. I get we have emotions, and I get there's hurt, and it still stings for a lot of us, for a lot of people. But I just want to say, yeah, getting remarried for you or getting divorced for you, that may have been sin. If you're remarried, getting remarried for you may have been sin, but staying married is not, okay? 
meaning that God wants you to stay with your current husband or your current wife and have a great marriage with that person, to have his ideal marriage with that person. I mean, in reality, the word divorce shouldn't even be, mar- shouldn't even be mentioned within our lives, within, you know, talking with our husbands and wives. It's just, it should never be an option. Actually, just a, just a couple weeks ago, I was talking with a buddy of mine, and he was saying that he's just get, got done going through a, a terrible divorce. They got four kids, and, you know, it's just, it's just so messy. And he was just like, and I was kind of asking about that, seeing how things were going, and he was just like, you know, I understand why God hates divorce. He's like, it's not just about me or my wife. There's other factors involved here and the kids and just all this stuff. I mean, it's a messy, messy thing. The good news is that Jesus wants us to have the ideal marriage, not our ideal marriage, not necessarily everything that's within our box, his ideal marriage, which is a permanent, lifelong relationship with that person that just fits you. And so today, I just want to encourage everybody, do marriage God's way. If you don't know what that is, listen, go online and and watch last week's message. All right, go read Ephesians chapter 5. Do marriage God's way, meaning wives. Allow your husbands to lead at home, within the family. Husbands, you need to love your wives self-sacrificially, meaning you need to give yourself up for her, meaning her box comes before your box. See, there's hope that you, no matter how terrible you think your marriage is or your relationship with your spouse is, there's hope, God's saying, you can have that ideal marriage. You can still do marriage the way that God has designed it. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for this. And God, marriage is hard. I mean, it's tough. And the reason is we are both messed up, jacked up, horrible, terrible people. I mean, we're both, we're both sinners. We're both focused on our box so many times. I mean, naturally, we're always focused on our hopes, dreams, and desires over the other person. And God, we ask that you'd help us, help us, help the wives in here to, to allow their husbands to lead and, and help us husbands to, to love our wives and our families like you have called us to love with a self-sacrificial love willing to give ourselves up for for them and give the things that we want up for our wife and our kids. It's easy to say, but man, it's hard to do. God, we ask that if there's anybody in here that, I mean, they might be on the verge of divorce this very moment. You come in and you fix that marriage. That they do life the way you called them to do life. And God, we thank you for these words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.